think we should get a phone call. Uh, tonight we're going to look at um, verse 13 of uh, this, this model prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6, right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and let's begin with the word of prayer. Before we do that, everybody has an outline that needs an outline? All right. Well done, guys, with passing out. I really appreciate that. Let's bow our heads, join our hearts, and let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity for us to worship You tonight and to learn new ways in words to lift up the sentiments of our heart and the, the affections of our heart that are solely placed on You, Father. Help us to, when we learn these songs, to incorporate them into our everyday and to sing praise to You and to, to move You to the center of our life on a daily basis. Thank You, Father, for, for the, the, the numbers of voices that are here tonight that are raised up to praise You. And now as we, we press our mind into Your Word, we're asking You to bless us in this endeavor as well. For we seek to go into this community, into our families, into our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods, wherever we go, the shopping places, the marketplace, as Your disciples, Father. And we want to be prepared in our thinking and in our, our actions and our reactions, Father, to anything that we face to bring glory to You and to show what it means to have You as our most precious treasure in this life. Thank You for all of these things that we have in Christ, and we pray it in His name. Amen. I began this, this morning with a reference um, to a movie. I want to do so again tonight. Uh, there was a movie that was released a few years ago with the interesting title, Devil. It's about a young man by the name of Tony who comes face to face with the devil in an elevator that is stuck in a high-rise in Toronto, Canada. The reason that the devil comes is because Tony is guilty of a horrible crime and sin. Many years earlier, Tony was speeding along a country road while he was intoxicated. As he reaches down to grab another beer in the floor of his car, he slams into the side of a car, injuring both a young woman and her son. But instead of facing the music for his crime and for his sin, instead of trying to save the mother and her son, Tony steps on the accelerator of his car. He speeds away from the scene, leaving them to die in the dark. He is never found. He is never discovered. His crime is never revealed until he is face to face with the devil in that elevator. And Tony, obviously, has failed all of these little tests all the way up to the big test. And because of that, two people die in the dark because he failed the big test. Well, that's, that's a fictional account. What about real life? Well, you don't have to go very far in the news these days, whether it's on the television or in the newspaper, to see that people fail the tests every day. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded that life is filled both with the big tests and with the little tests, the little tests and the big tests, and the only way to get through them is by seeking God. And that's why Christ teaches us to pray, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's say that together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we step back from this verse just for a second, one of the things that's really important to, to, to understand and, and to see in the Sermon on the Mount is that this Sermon on the Mount is not about how you become a Christian but it's how you live as a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple, you acknowledge 
that you will go into these tests. And at the heart of this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. At the heart of this prayer is that we will enter into the teeth of these tests and not be chewed up. Therefore, this part of the prayer is about deliverance. It is deliver me. It is deliver us. Now, before we go on, uh, I I think we need to deal with a question uh, about what is being said here. It's a question that comes up every time I teach uh, the Lord's Prayer or teach the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in this prayer says something very, very curious. It's not something that we're real familiar with in terms of our own everyday English usage. Jesus says we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why should we pray for God not to lead us into temptation? Isn't that a given? I mean, He is the Christ. Isn't it a given that He will not lead us into temptation? And doesn't, in a sense, that contradict what James, the brother of Jesus, writes in that general epistle, first chapter 13, verse, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. Well, my, my theory on this is that Jesus is simply employing a rhetorical device known as litotis, L-I-T-O-T-S. And what litotis does or is, is it emphasizes, litotis emphasizes something by negating the contrary. Let me say that again. We'll get our mind around it. Litotis is, is, is something that is emphasized by negating the contrary. I'll give you a couple of examples. We use it every day, even though we're not real familiar with this terminology. We do it all the time. Not a few means what? Many. Um, she's not hard to look at means what? She's pretty. She's, she's attractive. In John chapter 6, verse 37, we have sort of another example of litotis being used by, by Jesus to emphasize something, to really un- underscore something. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The point that Jesus is underscoring is the fact that He will certainly receive all those who come to Him. So lead us not into temptation is another way of saying deliver us from evil, but in a dramatic way that underscores that it's not you, but God who delivers you. Uh, there's a, a, a very famous commentator, one of my favorite commentators. I have, I have lots of his, his commentaries on the New Testament. Here is what uh, a fellow by the name of D.A. Carson writes about this particular passage. He says, This petition is a hefty reminder that just as we ought consciously to depend on God for physical sustenance, give us this day our daily bread, right? So also we ought to sense our dependence on Him for moral triumph and spiritual victory. End of quote. Over and over and over again. And you know this as well as I do. Over and over again, the Bible stresses this fact. That God is the ultimate deliverer. God is the ultimate deliverer. Now, think uh, uh, for a moment about the nature of a test. A test is either going to bring out what's best in you, or a test is going to bring out what is worst in you. I, I've told you this story before, but, but I'll tell it again. Uh, some, some years ago, I was in graduate school had one of the toughest and most demanding teachers in my life. He's an Old Testament teacher, very brilliant. But he had grown up on a farm in Iowa, which meant that he was a very methodical, old-school kind of a, uh, of a professor. 
And the very first exam he gave was a bear. It was obvious that most of the class was unprepared by the comments, and it was a really, really large class. Everybody was friends with everyone else, and it was a loud, boisterous class, but totally unprepared for the level of study and academics that this guy was going to offer. So on the day that he handed out that first graded test, everybody was in the class talking and cutting up, and class was loud. It soon dawned on me that as he handed the test back, the class was getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And then it dawned on me again, something else, that he's one of these professors that hands out the test, the lowest grade first going all the way to the highest grade and everyone, everyone else in between. And so the class was getting quieter and quieter, which was a bad thing. But I had not been handed my test, which was a good thing. Finally, he had two tests left in his hand and started walking towards me. I'm thinking that I may have gotten the highest grade in the class, but it was not to be as he handed uh, my test back to me, which said C+. And then he handed the highest grade, which was a B- to the guy that sat behind me. I think he copied me. By this time, the class was deathly quiet. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, this boisterous, loud uh, fellowship that was going on in class as, as, as Dr. Smith is handing out this. It just gets quiet and quiet and quiet. And finally, all the tests are out, and you can hear a pin drop. And he walks to the, to the front of the class, and he says, Gentlemen, this is not Sunday school. Master of divinity implies mastery of the text. And then he started the day's lecture. And we were sufficiently humbled. Now, the reason I tell you that is a test can bring out the best in you by showing your progress or showing the headway that, that you've, you've made because of diligence and because of study and because of hard work and, and a certain kind of an ethic. And these tests can be wonderful in, in moving you along in your studies. Or the test can be more about what you don't have or what you don't possess. And you think that you've made a lot of progress, say in, in, in real life, in our everyday life, you think that you've made a lot of progress in the test that is the area of anger. But really, the only reason that you believe that is because you, know, you haven't been around people for a while. And then you get out into traffic on 410 at rush hour, and the next thing you know, you're about to burst the capillaries in your forehead because someone has cut you off. A test reveals, in that particular case, that somewhere along the line you drop the ball. Jesus teaches His disciples to pray that these kinds of tests do not crush us. Deliver us from evil. Now, in dealing with the test, I think there are just four things that we want to emphasize tonight. The first one is, reckon the test will come. Reckon that the tests will come. You know, life is a lot like school. It's not possible to go through life without tests. Now, uh, if, if you remember high school, college, or graduate school, you know, sometimes those tests come once or twice a semester. Or sometimes they come every week. Or sometimes they pop up unexpectedly. But if you expect them, whether they're once or twice a semester or whether they come every week or whether or not the teacher's one of those kind that gives a pop test every once in a while to, to make sure that you're studying, if you expect them, then you prepare for them. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, this is the same kind of teaching that Peter's trying to get the church to understand as it's about to run face first into the empire that is Rome. 
And he says to the church, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. Underline those words in your Bible. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. One of the things that was really important for Peter to help Christians understand is that they should never, ever, ever, ever be surprised by the tests, by the fiery trials that they encounter. Christians should never be shocked because... Jesus teaches this in the prayer. He teaches us to pray on a daily basis. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer of how you pray all the time. He's not giving us the specific words, even though the words can be used on a daily basis. He's giving us the model, the ideas, the concepts, the constructs in which to pray. This model prayer teaches us to recognize the reality of the test that they're there. And if they're not there, they're coming. These tests are a way to respond in faith to God from the minor irritations. Somebody bugs you or something happens. It's just a minor irritation to the major temptation to your spiritual integrity and your health as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, you you know, if we're really honest with one another, one of the things that we kind of come to an understanding about is that in our struggle with these tests, Our struggle really comes from our surprise. How in the world is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Sometimes the reason we're down in the dumps is not the trouble, but the reaction to the trouble. We're caught off guard. And you're going through life, and life is going just fine. You're feeling good, and then you're surprised that someone that you think knows you pretty well says something behind your back that is unflattering and probably not true, but it catches you off guard. You were surprised. How in the world did this happen? Why did that person say this about me? And all of a sudden, you're trapped in anger and thoughts of revenge, and the anger challenges your commitment to walk as Jesus walked. Don't be surprised. That's the point. In this prayer, Jesus is giving us the structure for prayer. Don't be surprised, but pray about these tests that come sometimes on a daily basis. The tests are going to come. And that's why the theology, the thinking about life, and the thinking that the merging of life and, and biblical teaching has to be correct. Christians are not to be naive in thinking that good people get the good life and the bad people get the bad life. Disciples of Jesus keep focused on Jesus, the only true good man who was rejected and died a horrible death. He is the one in whose steps we walk. But in that, we see the power of God and the way that that God works in the structure of life. Seeds die, but they, they bloom into flowers, or they bloom into trees, or they bloom into oaks. Coal is put under huge pressure, tremendous weight of pressure, but it comes out of diamond. Or that is put into a fire comes out as pure gold. And in the hand of God, the horrible deaths of the faithful turn into resurrections. One of the reasons why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is because we expect the evil to jump our lives. And we have to be made ready for it. Then number two, not only do you reckon that the test will come, but you recognize the real enemy is the evil one. Your real enemy is not the circumstances, it's not the discomfort, it's not the suffering, even though those things can really be a hindrance and and a, a part of the painful ordeal. 
But the real enemy is the power of evil and the power of the evil one. Notice that the, the thing Jesus has us praying about is the evil. Now, some translations put evil. The others put the evil one. Personally, I tend to lean towards the translation evil one because the test is really about whose will is going to get done in your life, God or the evil one. Remember, that's the very thing that Jesus teaches us to preach at the very, or, or to pray at the very beginning of the model prayer. He says, Thy will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. Remember what we pray. It is Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Now think about this theologically for a minute. I heard a preacher uh, in preaching about this text once say, the only thing that can hurt you is sin. He said, 100 pounds of suffering can't hurt you. But an ounce of sin can devastate you. 100,000 pounds of pressure, if it's put on top of a coal, it comes out from under that pressure as a diamond. But only one ounce of sin can devastate you. That's the way it is with, with disciples. The disciple that responds to the suffering with compassion, forgiveness, and patience, self-control, and perseverance, eyes focused on God, will come out as a diamond. But the one who responds to the circumstances with selfishness and anger and impatience and bitterness and faithfulness and, 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 and the like will be ruined. You will not come out as a diamond. The first part of, the, uh, of this petition, lead us not into temptation, really does sound like, get me out of here. But it's that second part, deliver us from evil, that really shows what, what the, the, the point of this particular part of the prayer is really after in our life. It, it's sin that's the real problem because it's sin that can ruin you and it's sin that can destroy you. It's Jesus praying that the cup of suffering be removed from Him, but praying ultimately for the will of God to be done in His life. This model prayer is not a prayer to be saved from the consequences. He doesn't say, lead us not into suffering, but deliver us from pain. He doesn't say that. He says, it, it, this prayer is not about being saved from the consequences of sin, but is aimed at sin itself. Deliver us from evil, from the evil one. And one of the most helpful ways to do this is to remember to whom you're praying. You know, we've talked about this so many times over the last couple of years, about at the heart of Christian prayer is this phrase, Our Father. That was one of the most dynamic teachings in Jesus' life about the relationship with God, is that He's not only God, He's not only Creator, He's not only Shepherd. He's not only all of these things that we have studied and, and talked about over all of these years, but He is the Father. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, He teaches us to pray our Father. He prays all the time to our Father except in one place where He quotes Psalm 22 there on the cross. Jesus is always praying to His Father. And when you pray this particular petition about evil, being delivered from it, not falling headlong into it, Remember that you pray it to your Father who is in heaven. It's our Father. Those two words that modifies every petition in this model prayer. And that's how you process it. A Christian is someone who knows that they've been adopted by, 
by the Father who is in heaven. And fathers, good fathers know that part of the core work as a father is to transform this little baby, this little child into a member of his family who accepts and represents the father's values and principles. The father gives this little baby baby a name and a character and he protects that baby and he endows that baby and that child and that young adolescent with the skills and the, and the knowledge and, and the, the, the moral strength and the power to do what is right. And a Christian knows that he is loved by God the Father as much as he loves his only begotten Son. And if Jesus' cross turns into a resurrection, then I know as a fellow son of God the Father that the same is true for me. And then the last thing, and we'll close out tonight, the last thing, and maybe one of the more important things to think about, which has really nothing to do with the words of the prayer itself, but it's, it's recall the teacher of this prayer. To think very carefully and deeply about who it is that's teaching us to pray this way. Who is it that teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? It is Jesus. And right before Jesus teaches this prayer, He's at the beginning of His ministry. He's just been through 40 days in the wilderness where He comes face to face with the evil one. And Jesus, during that, that end of the 40 days of, of fasting, there uh, as He's beginning His ministry, He's tempted three times to not trust God, to flee the suffering and to focus on getting relief from the immediate circumstances. Turn this bread, these stones into bread. But Jesus says, God will deliver me by delivering me from evil. And the angels come and strengthen Him. And then, right at the end of His ministry, Jesus is tempted to seek relief from the agony of the cross, to get away from the suffering, to evade the cross, to step over the abyss. And He even prays for the cup to be removed from Him. But He prays for God's will to be done in His life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He prays, not my will, but yours. And at the end, an angel comes and strengthens him. Jesus enters the suffering because He loves God more than anything else. Jesus prays for the will of God to be done in His life because He loves the Father more than anything else. Jesus suffers the way that He suffers and experiences the brutality and the cruelty the way that He experiences it because He loves His Father more than anything else. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is His prayer of love to God the Father. And the act of love is rewarded with an act of love. A resurrection to eternal life. And so as we leave this place tonight and we go into the workplace and into our families and our neighborhoods and the marketplace and wherever we encounter people and encounter circumstances in this fallen world and we run into the test, whether they're big or little, one of the things that prepares us every day is prayer. And the way that Jesus teaches us to pray is to remember that this is a fallen world and that God is the ultimate deliverer. And that when we pray, one of the parts of that prayer is not just to ask God for the things that we need every day. That's a rightful part of that prayer life. And to recognize Him as God the Father is, is, is the right thing to do. But every 
each prayer, every prayer that we utter up every day that recognizes God the Father and that He sustains us physically is also that He sustains us spiritually. And a part of our daily prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is a prayer of love that we offer up every day to God. That whatever comes our way, we will bring you glory. Whatever comes our way, whether painful or ordeal or agony or suffering, whatever it might be, persecution, it might be embarrassed, whatever it might be, because you're our treasure and because you're the greatest gift and because you're the one that sustains our life and you give life meaning and definition and you sustain it and you give it significance and you give us courage and you give us strength and you bless us in a multitude of ways. We want to live our life in such a way that portrays that. And it puts it on exhibition every day. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from evil. This is our act of love because we anticipate the greatest act of love. Not just our salvation, but our salvation unto a resurrection that leads into life ever after in the presence of God. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there are ways that our church may minister to you, pray for you, talk to you about the meaning of the Gospel and how it impacts your life and how you become connected to God the Father as one of His, one of His children, as a son or a daughter, then what we want you to do during the singing of this next song is to come and to talk to these shepherds that stand and praise God together. <laughs>